بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم اللهم صل على سيدنا ونبينا ومولانا محمد وعلى سورة الحجرات السورة نمبر 49 الفتح سورة الفتح we did previously the word hujurat comes from the word hujra which basically means a room a chamber a place where people live husband and wife and it's private so since this is an issue of privacy especially in the beginning of the surah this surah is thereby called hujarat the chambers the private chambers of the prophet sallallahu how they should be respected and honored that after you have now seen hudaybiyah and you are on your way to establishing darul islam in makkah you still need to maintain certain values certain etiquette certain adab you can't become nonchalant uh, because now you are the king of the castle so even if you are the king of the castle you still have to maintain the adab of being a king and also the adab of the castle and so on so this is about mannerisms with regards to the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam and with regards to believers and with regards to human beings in general that's how the surah is arranged is how to behave with the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam how to behave amongst believers and how to behave in human kind okay from the very specific to the very general and you see that order as the light of day since uh, respecting the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam is uh, one of the most virtuous deeds in islam the surah begins with this a'udhu billahi minash shaitanir rajeem bismillahir rahmanir rahim ya ayyuhalladhina amanu la taqaddimu bayna yadayillahi wa rasulihi wattaqullaha innallaha samiun alim So as in Hudaybiyah, the Sahaba uh, were not thoroughly convinced about the Treaty of Hudaybiyah. They had several reservations and then they acquiesced and they came to terms with it. And then subsequently Allah gave them fatah and victory based on their now submitting to what the Prophet ﷺ had decided. It's a mindset. So how is your Islam determined? Your Islam is determined by how much you accept the Prophet ﷺ as your authority in life. Everyone's Islam is determined by how you see the Prophet ﷺ. How much authority does he have with you and in you? And... uh, how do you show that you love him and respect him 
So that is a very general theme. Now, here the Quran is going to go into specifics about this. So the first is a total universal mindset for all Muslims, especially for the Sahaba, where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, O you who believe, do not come in front of the Prophet neither physically nor intellectually nor spiritually. Don't assume that you can overtake him. Obviously, it starts with the physical, as Islam is about the zahir, the apparent application of the rule. So the apparent application was that the Sahaba were not allowed to walk in front of the Prophet They weren't allowed to. No one would dare walk in front of the Prophet So that taqaddimu here is on the zahir. It is now apparent. And with the apparent meaning, you can expand it to the not-so-apparent. The not-so-apparent is to second-guess the Prophet as they perhaps tried to do in Hudaybiyah. They tried to second-guess him. Maybe this is not the right strategy, not the right move, not the right thing to do, doesn't make sense, etc., etc. So that's now intellectually, trying to go before the Prophet trying to decide this is best for Islam and trying to ask Allah to do this for Islam and so on, which is intellectual. So how much do you trust the Prophet as your guide, as your hadi, as someone who leads the way? That is a test for all believers, then and today especially, that if there are nusus, for instance, there are hadith and there are ayat of the Qur'an that we don't immediately understand. How do we develop a theory by which we can give preference to an ayah over hadith or preference to one hadith over another? That has to be developed as a theory. It cannot be developed as a part of anarchy or rebellion against Islam. It cannot be developed based on skepticism or based on, uh, as I said, disbelief. Okay, so there, there are many camps that uh, discredit the Prophet One is that he's just a human being like us, which is just short of kufr, if not kufr itself. You can't say that about the Prophet. Yes, he's a human being. But then the next uh, part of the ayah, you highly separates him. That wahi is given to me. That's the difference. Wahi is not given to you. Yes, I'm human, flesh and blood, blood. I have all the chromosomes you have. I have everything that you have. And I eat and I sleep and everything that you do. But I'm different. Wahi makes me superior. So that is how Muslims, unfortunately, nowadays don't see the Prophet in this light. They try to measure him. Uh, like a world leader, a political leader, a military genius, and a statesman, a great husband, and so on. So we don't do that. We don't partialize Risala and Nabuwa. We don't dissect it into this. He is a Rasulullah, and that's the end of the story. Everything he does is because he is Rasulullah. So you don't second guess the Prophet. 
That is very disturbing that uh, you would say, why you are there in front of the Prophet and you should do this. So you can't give free advice to the Prophet You have to stay behind him, not even in your lane. You don't have a lane. You have to stay in his lane. If you have a lane, then that's also shirk. I can do this. No, you can't. Don't go in front. And then later on, spiritually, don't assume that you can ever uh, overtake the Prophet in spirituality, that you know how to worship Allah better than he does. And you don't follow him in the way he worships Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So that's also part of this ayah, that not going not going uh, in front of the Prophet in your uh, you know, quest to be close to Allah. Okay? No one can be as close to Allah than the Prophet Muhammad So you have to follow him in everything he does and you have to imitate him and so on. So that is that. That is that. In front of Allah, in front of his Rasul, in front of Allah, and so say you don't agree with something in Islam, you don't agree with what the Quran says, and so on. So that, what Allah, fear Allah, that you must have fearing Allah because of his authority, and because of his knowledge, because of his power, and because of his abilities to forgive and to grant people gender. So you must know, obviously, your purpose of religion, basically, is to enter Jannah through Allah's follow. So that's something that is very universal for every human being to appreciate. In Allah, Sami'un Alim, indeed, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, He is all hearing and He is all knowing. He knows you, He knows what He says, He knows what you think. So He is now all hearing. So if you have an idea, uh, that goes against the Prophet وسلم, or Allah Himself, uh, then you must get rid of it and then turn back to Allah, turn back to the Rasul. So, this is a mindset. Okay? Meaning, what is the mindset of a Muslim? The mindset of a Muslim is to concede to the Prophet وسلم, and to concede to Allah's authority over you. Uh, now, uh, this has played out very well in Muslim history. Alhamdulillah, Muslims on the whole always practice this ayah and they will not do anything uh, to suggest that they're rebelling, rebelling against Allah and the Rasul, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. More of this eventually later at the end of the surah. Ya ayyuhal ladheena amanu la tarfa'u aswatakum fawqa sawtin nabi. This is another command that a group of people from the Banu Tamim came to visit the Prophet وسلم, and they wanted the Prophet وسلم, to appoint a leader for their tribe who is Muslim. So they had mashwara, they had discussions, and the Prophet وسلم, retired to his hujra, to his chambers, to his private quarters. And the Sahaba were discussing amongst themselves. Abu Bakr had one opinion, and Umar had another opinion, and others also chimed in. And all the 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 the, the voices of the Sahaba became very loud. 
This is in front of the Prophet Sallallahu house, which is a no-no. So the Prophet didn't say anything because he has modesty, he has haya as a leader. He didn't go out and shout at them either. <laughs> That's not what you do as a Nabi. So as a, as a leader, you have to show your own charisma, your own discipline, your own other for other people, even if they're doing something wrong. So he didn't come out and shout. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, as usual, would come in and defend the Prophet and he, he would, on behalf of the Prophet advocate a rule. So here the rule is, Don't raise your voices above the voice of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa It's a sin. Yeah, I mean, you can't do that. So now the Sahaba immediately realize, okay, this is wrong. This is going to hurt the Prophet The Prophet out of adab for us didn't say anything. But Allah is now reprimanding us that we cannot do this and we should not do this. So all the Sahaba, uh, they immediately started to lower their voices in front of the Prophet to the degree where Omar, who was naturally uh, very loud, and he had a natural loud voice, even if he wanted to whisper, he couldn't. So he had to murmur. <laughs> so the Prophet after that would ask him two or three times to repeat what he said because of this ayah. He said, I'm not doing this. I'm not going to you know, be a subject of this ayah. And there were other Sahaba who were also very, very loud, naturally. And they, they, they decided almost not to speak in front of Allah. This was the adab that the Sahaba had for the Prophet and Allah. So Allah is saying, you can't do this. This hurts the Prophet. And we're not going to do this. So they all complied. And this shows you the love the Sahaba had for both Allah and the Rasul. And that we comply with the hukum, with the command. Uh, we don't confront it. Okay? We don't reject it. And we don't say maybe it's circumstantial. In these circumstances, maybe you should do this. No. If you're there with the Prophet, you don't raise your voice higher than the voice of, and the sound of the Prophet. It's pure adab. So you won't see this anywhere in civilization. You won't see an example of this in history ever, from Adam until the Day of Judgment. This is very unique to the Sahaba. And this is why the Sahaba are the Sahaba, because they complied 100% with the will of Allah and with the hukum of Allah. And this is how they were. So even after the Prophet is buried, okay, Aisha uh, would taunt people if they came to visit the Prophet and they raised their voices. She would tell the other Sahaba there, tell them they can't do this because of this ayah. Meaning that he hears, he listens, so you can't raise your voice there. So when you go to the Prophet and you want to say Salat Salam, you have to say it softly. You can't go there and shout, Salat Salam alayhi wa You have to do it in a very gentle way. Okay. Some people were there in the masjid. Ali radiallahu was there and they were making noise because they were cleaning the masjid. He said, no. Even this noise is no good. The Prophet doesn't want to hear this noise either. 
Yeah. So that's how uh, Mu'addab and how sophisticated, how cultured the Sahaba became with regards to the Prophet Even after he left this world, they would make a sound in front of the, the grave, Mubarak. So this complies. So the first ayah now shows you that we have to develop a mindset for obedience. The second ayah is the proof of the obedience of the Sahaba. This is how you should read it. Not just in abstract meaning that the Sahaba complied with every hukum of Allah. Not only did they not second-guess Allah and Rasul, but when an ayah came, they immediately complied. As when the ayah for the prohibition of wine came, the Sahaba did not even blink, and every Sahabi in every house threw out their wine into the streets of Medina. They threw out the utensils, they threw out the glasses, and they threw out everything that was even remotely connected to wine. That's the mindset. So Islam wants Muslims to develop this mindset of total compliance with Allah and the Rasul, where you don't even entertain the idea of a doubt. You don't entertain the idea of rejection. And this is now how the Muslims Manasi from the seerah of the Prophet from the seerah of the Sahaba, that these ayat are not simply ayat that you write in books and then you leave the books on the shelves and they collect dust. And it's not just for what you call it documentation and data collecting. It is an ayah that shows you that the way forward for a civilization is to show the utmost respect for its leader. And every nation does it, whether willingly or unwillingly. Ever see how when uh, the president comes in to give the State of the Nation address? How many formalities, formalities they go through? Why do they do that? I mean, these are non-Muslims. Showing the utmost respect for their leader and half the house doesn't like him anyway. I mean, you don't have to like your leader in order to respect him. With us, we do. We love him, the Prophet But as a civilizational value, if there's a leader, you've appointed a leader of your community, whether big or small, at the micro level or the macro level, then you have to show other. Whether you agree or whether you disagree, it doesn't matter. That's called anzilun nasa manazilun. Okay. Place people according to their level in society, to who they are and what they are. You can disagree, but you can't be uncouth when you address the person who's the leader. You can't be rude because that is uncivilized. So here, with the utmost respect given to any human being is the respect the Sahaba gave to the Prophet Sahasana. That, as I said, it is unparalleled in human history. And this is a mindset. That's why you respect the Imam of Salat. How much do you respect the Imam of Salat? You have to follow him, whether you like him or not. You may have a personal thing going with the Imam, but when he's in Salat, he's leading you, you have to follow him. 
You can't bring your anger and hatred against him. I'm not following him. So when he's in Ruku, I'm going in Sajda. And when he's in Sajda, I'm going in Ruku. Okay, that's pathetic. Now, it's, it's not that people do this, but the mindset is there. So the most important thing is the, the spirit, the ruh. And the aql must comply to the ahkam of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and to the ahkam of the Prophet that They willingly do something. That's what Islam is, is the willingness of the believer to surrender actively to the wicked will of Allah, to the hukum of Allah. So this is how we see these ayat playing out, that you don't raise your voice in front of the Prophet and you don't walk in front of him. This is how uh, you develop and create a civilization. And these are civilization values. And specifically, it stems from how much you love your leader. Uh, more of that perhaps later, inshallah. And don't raise your voices and speak loudly uh, with your statements as you speak loudly to each other and with each other. Speak to him softly and gently so that you show respect for your leader who is the Rasul of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So, so, again, أَنْتَحْبَطْ أَعْمَالُكُمْ وَأَنْتُمْ لَا تَشْعُرُونَ Lest that your actions are cancelled and you don't even know that your actions are cancelled, meaning that there's always a danger that some person in the community will harbour some enmity, animosity against the Prophet and by him not showing respect, even physically, will open the door for further disobedience and further enmity, and so on. If you can contain yourself, control your, control your emotions, in front of the people, then uh, it might be that those emotions will go away eventually. But if you're always emotional and you always display your anger and your enmity, then it's going to grow like a cancer. So here Allah is warning the believers that if you don't do this physically and you don't show the physical respect and adab to the Prophet it is very conceivable uh, that you will eventually end up in kufr. And then your actions will be cancelled. Usually actions are not cancelled except by kufr. So in this ayah, this is the way we understand the ayah, that one thing will lead to another. This is the cause and it will lead to the effect of eventual kufr where you stop now respecting anyone and anything. So, likewise, respect for the Qur'an okay, will develop love for the Qur'an. Disrespect for the Qur'an will develop enmity and hatred for the Qur'an. So if you don't uh, hold your Qur'an with adab, uh, and you don't kiss it, and you don't hold it with wudu, eventually you'll be relaxed and nonchalant, and you'll be able to love the Qur'an at all. So it starts with the physical handling. It's a mindset. This is not an ordinary book. Uh, this person, Rasulullah, is not an ordinary man. I can't act in front of him or react to him like I do with other people. Likewise, the Quran, likewise, any symbol of Islam known as Sha'ir, 
Any symbol in Islam has to be respected, like the Kaaba, like the Quran, like the Salat, like a Masjid, everything else. So that is how we see this. So when people give fatawa that you may hold the Mus'haf this way, with wudu, without wudu, then that's not the issue. The issue is not the fatwa. The issue is the mindset. How do you develop love for the Quran? You can only develop love for the Quran if you place the Quran in a place where it is respectful and you don't put it on top of the TV. That is disrespectful. That means you don't love the Quran. You say the Quran is an ordinary magazine. I put it anywhere. God forbid uh, you take your phones in the, the bathroom and the Quran has the Quran, you know, the phone has the Quran in it. You can't take the phone to the bathroom. <laughs> You're not supposed to take it anyway. But taking it with the Quran inside, that is disrespectful. The old civilizational values that the ulama Fukaha told us, you cannot do this. Well, yeah, so if there was a coin on which there was Allah Akbar written, they say you can't take it to the bathroom. So the civilization values start with the actual physical manifestation in society, societal respect. When you read the Quran, read the Quran, not as if you're reading a magazine and you lie on the floor with one foot this way and one foot the other way. You cannot do that. That is khilaf al-adab. And one thing leads to another. Then eventually you'll see that your children have no value for the Quran. Whatsoever. They just move around like you know, your cleaners and your workers come in, they move around the Quran with wudu, without wudu, who cares? So, this is how we say, Lest your actions, good actions, are cancelled and you have no reward for your actions, even though you don't even know what you're doing. So, this is the adab. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is now showing that uh, there are rules of engagement in every religion. And in every religion, you obey the rules. Um, and most people, alhamdulillah, do likewise the adab of the masjid and everything else that also comes into this uh, discussion. And so on. Yeah. <laughs> Here Allah Taala commends the group of people who've passed the test of Adam. So one is that there is now, you know, just the mechanical performance of the actions and one is now the performance of the action with sincerity, with love and with dedication. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Indeed, those people who lower their voices in front of the Rasul sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, they are the ones whom Allah has tested, uh, whom Allah has tested the hearts for taqwa. So unless you're tested, you don't know whether you are good or whether you're not so good. And so, so imtahana is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's prerogative to see who is who, and to show the Prophet also who is who. Because if you have munafiqun in front of the Prophet they will destroy the community. So it was very difficult for the munafiqun to observe the physical okay, practices of Islam. Very, very difficult. That's why they never attended Fajr 
and they never attended Isha because nobody will notice whether they're there or not. But in Dhuhr, Asr, Maghrib, people know that you're there, you're not there. So they would attend Dhuhr, Asr, Maghrib. So that's how the Sahaba know that these people are not truly believers. So it's in the imtihan that your iman must be verified by societal standards. Not that we have any prerogative to call anybody a kafir. That, that's a different issue. That can we call somebody a kafir? No. Okay. Unless he expresses open kufr or does something which is almost like treason and so on. But there are signs that you are a good Muslim and there are signs that you are a bad Muslim. If you're going around in Ramadan openly eating uh, and you have no reason not to eat and no reason to eat, then obviously that's not a good sign. Right? So that's how. So even if you're not fasting, you're not supposed to eat in front of people who are fasting. If you don't fast for a reason, like you're sick, you're not supposed to eat in front of those who are fasting out of adab for the fast. Right? This, this is adab, as I am talking. So imtahana, you say, Allah is testing. And then you have the naive people who say, why does God need to test anyone anyway? <laughs> the testing is to establish Allah's justice and Allah's system and order that this is the way we work in this world. So in this world, we have angels who report our deeds. But Allah knows everything anyway. Why does he need angels to report the deeds? Because of the system of justice uh, that will be apparent on the day of judgment so that nobody can say that Allah is treating somebody unfairly. How do you know you committed a sin? It's written here. We have videos of it. <laughs> right? We have documentation of it. So, so why does Allah test? And who is Allah testing? He's testing the Sahaba. So how can you test the Sahaba? They love us. No. They're human beings. Okay, so we need to measure the, the amount of love the Sahaba have for the Prophet ﷺ. And that is by making sure that they, 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 they practice Islam physically. Meaning that it has to be visible. So the visible actions are the standard for being a good Muslim. Some people say it's all in the heart. It's not in the heart. I love you, but I'm going to kill you anyway. You've heard of crime of passion? <laughs> I love you, but I'm going to kill you because I love you. Right? I mean, that's uh, disturbing, <laughs> perverted. So how do you know you're a good Muslim for you? that I'm able to practice all the tenets of Islam easily, and I do it physically, so it's observable to me and to others also. So here Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he says this ayah, don't raise your voice in front of the Prophet. Sallallahu all the Sahaba comply, and only those who don't like the Prophet will find it hard and difficult to not to comply. That's how you know. This one is close to Nifaq, and this one is a pure Muslim, a genuine Muslim. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tests people uh, to establish the, the veracity of their iman and of their Islam. So when everybody's on the same page, then you can see this is a Muslim civilization. Everybody thinks the same way, they do the same thing, and they're in line 
with all the values that Allah uh, wants them to apply. Litaqwa, um, so that Allah is testing them for taqwa. So the Sahaba, they weren't being tested necessarily for fatwa, that they stay within halal. They're tested for a higher level of practice, which is called taqwa, meaning that if they have a choice between what is good and what is better, then they will choose what is better, not just what is good. They won't choose adal or justice. They will choose ihsan. Ihsan is something which is better than adal. Higher than justice. So you do the bare minimum mechanics of wudu and salat. Okay, that's fine. But you do your wudu properly and you do your salat with devotion. That is taqwa. So Allah is testing the sahaba with regards to taqwa, not just their basic level Islam. So that's another lesson for us to appreciate that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wanted the Sahaba to raise their level of Islam so that they would be higher in their ranks in Jannah. So that's the ultimate goal for Allah. I'm going to impose this on you to, to see who is going to comply and who is not. So some people will reach those higher ranks of Jannah and some people may not. But this is the way Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala establishes the idea, plants the idea in the minds of the Sahaba that we just, we don't want you to just pass. We don't want you to just get a D. We want you to get A plus. D, okay, even the professor will throw that away. But A plus, yes, this you can display. Another bashara for the Sahaba here, that for them there is absolute forgiveness and a tremendous reward. So Allah is now saying that the Sahaba, since they pass this test of taqwa, they'll be rewarded and they are forgiven, especially those who were present at this time when the ayah was revealed, which is in late Medina. This ayah was revealed very late in Medina. So most of the Sahaba uh, by that time were already Muslim and now uh, they must raise their standards of behavior in front, front of the Prophet وسلم, first. Okay? I mean, if you don't know how to behave in front of your leader, then you don't know how to behave in front of those who are following him, which is a natural succession and so on. Uh, this is in reference to, again, the Banu Tamim when they came because they were from the desert and they weren't used to living with uh, society. Uh, so they didn't know the mannerisms, the adab, the etiquette of dealing with people. Uh, so this is what happened. Many of the tribes came in to visit the Prophet and they all accepted Islam, but they, they, they still had to you know, be, be uh, trained and they had to be refined. So that was a process which the, the Prophet ﷺ had to administer to so many of these people. So they're Bedouins, they, they live outside of the, you know, the dwellings, they live outside in the desert, they live in tents, and they're basically nomads. So they, they have no idea of how people interact in society. So when you have those types of people, you have to give them instruction. Okay. And if you don't give them instruction and you let them be by saying they're Muslim anyway, they'll learn themselves and say, no, 
That's not how fiqh works. Fiqh doesn't work. Fiqh is about instructing people what they can do, what they cannot do. So this tribe, as, they, as I mentioned, they came in to see if the, the Prophet would appoint a leader uh, for them. They, when they came in, immediately they went to the Prophet Wasallam's quarters, living quarters, and they stood outside and they, they kind of shouted, Muhammad," <laughs> which is very offensive. You don't say that. You don't say that to an ordinary person. So you wait. So meaning as you'll see in the next time. So those people who shout at you from behind the, your chambers and your quarters, uh, yeah. most of them have no sense. They don't understand. They have no sense of how to live, how to behave. They're not refined and cultured in the way that most other people are. So there's a lot to be said about civility. Uh, so that's how Muslims were the first ones to develop civility as a standard of living, standard of life, and so on. Um, they don't understand. So when they don't, what do you do with these people? So this is why the, 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 the Prophet ﷺ knew how to deal with these people, and whereas you know other Arab people at that time really didn't know how to handle the Bedouins, which is the more desire of the Prophet ﷺ. So if you were there and you had other people there, like the people of Quraysh or the people of other tribes who lived in large dwellings, okay, they... Uh, they they may not take very kindly to the uncouth behavior of other people. But the Prophet hilm and his immense tolerance and his ability to, uh, you know, educate people is a mojiza. Uh, one person came into Medina. He, he was also better when he came in. And he started, you know, answering the call of nature in the masjid. So the riwayah is Otherwise translated as the Sahaba took him to task. Fatanabalahu <laughs> Sahaba. Is that what you do, right? Somebody's going into the masjid, that's what we would do. Making a mess in the masjid and urinating in the masjid. Obviously, you go and slap him. So the Brahms answered, no, let him finish. <laughs> And let him finish. Let him finish urinating in the masjid. How, how do you justify that? So only a Nabi can do this. Because as Ibn Khaldun said, that only a Nabi can take care, take care of the Arab, the Bedouins. No one else can do that. It's not possible. All the other great Muslim rulers, they couldn't take care of them. But only a Nabi can do that. Only the Nabi has the ability to tolerate such nonsense. And not only that, and then reform the person. So after he finished, the Prophet himself washed the place. He didn't ask that. He asked the Sahaba to bring him some water, so he washed the place. And then he told him that the masajid of Allah, they're not built for this kind of stuff. The masajid of Allah are built for dhikr and dua and salat. <laughs> so this, this person went back to his people and said, I've never seen a more honorable and loving teacher than this one. And they all accept Islam. 
See, this is this, 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 the, the, the understanding of what Allah wants from you at that time. One is, I got to reform him, so you slap him. That's not even close to reforming him. You've damaged him. Huh? So the Nabi reforms. He makes Islah, he makes something bad good. Which is what is Whereas other people, they don't make Islah, they make Ifsad, they make something bad worse. So that's not the Prophet's way. The Prophet's way is this. So here, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, starting with this ayah, most of them, they don't understand. They have no they don't understand. But there is now room for Islah. So how is the Islah? وَلَوْ أَنَّهُمْ صَبَرُوا حَتَّى تَخْرُجَ إِلَيْهِمْ لَكَانَ خَيْرَ اللَّهُ If they had been patient. I mean, Allah is now giving the prescription to the Banu Tamim that if you were just patient and you waited until the Prophet himself came out, until you came out, حَتَّى تَخْرُجَ إِلَيْهِمْ لَكَانَ خَيْرَ اللَّهُمْ It would have been much better for them. So that's Islam. This is how you make Islam of someone who is rude and someone who is uncouth, someone who is impolite, that you don't add fuel to the fire by making him even more stubborn. You have to throw water on the fire, which requires patience, it requires hilm more than that. Uh, it requires the ability to see that there is room for this person's now reformation. So they became refined and they understood that we can't do this, and they were very good Muslims afterwards. Alhamdulillah. So, until he, until you come out. So, the Sahaba were very, very particular about this in their times. Slightly different nowadays, but anyway. Abdullah ibn Abbas, who was a great alim, a great alim of the Sahaba. And if he wanted to know something from another Sahabi, meaning they were all ulama, so they exchange ideas and they learn from each other, so he would go to that person's house and then wait outside. He didn't ask for the person inside. He didn't knock on a door, if there was a door. He just waited outside. Hatta takhrujili, until you come out. I'm not saying you do that today, I'm saying this is the level of adab that the Sahaba had based on this ayah. That if I want something from somebody, especially if it's as noble as knowledge, then I have to be patient. Not that I'm going to rush the other person, I want to see you, I want to see you, I want to see you. That, that impatience is not the way to seek knowledge. With knowledge, you have to be patient. In fact, it's the ground upon you walk. If you don't have patience, you will not learn anything. You might learn some words here and there, sentences here, but you won't learn ilm. It doesn't come that way. So this here, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is saying to the Sahaba that uh, now when you are with the Prophet you have to respect him and you have to respect the place where he lives. Right. Hence the hujrat. That be careful and be mindful that you don't, first of all, you don't barge in and you seek permission if you do, and then if you're there, then you don't shout and you don't raise your voice. And if you need something desperately, then you must not disturb the Prophet. You must wait until he comes out, even though you may have a need. 
Even though you may have a need, it's not that your need is any more important than uh, disturbing the Prophet And he, if he saw somebody, he heard somebody by the door, invariably he's going to come out. But he must wait for him to come out. Until you come out. There's also an order for the Prophet that they must not seek your assistance from behind the curtain, from behind the veil. You must go to them. Wallahu Khafur Rahim Allah is extremely forgiving for your inequities, uh, for your mistakes and blunders, and extremely compassionate that He will allow you to enter Jannah after He forgives you. So, as I said, the, the first part of this surah is about Adab with the Prophet. What are the Adab uh, and what are the rules of etiquette and what are the civilizational values when it comes to? Treating the Prophet these are these values. As I said, that's how the surah is divided. The second half of the surah is about how you deal with yourself as Muslims, uh, those ideas. And then the third part is how you deal with human beings in general. So the, the, this is how the surah is now revealed to us. And as you can see, there's there's a lot of knowledge, a lot of information, but most of all, there's a, there's a lot of thinking that Muslims can do with these ayat, and they must think about their own level of taqwa, and they must think about their own level of adab with themselves and with other people. But now you can see that living with the Prophet was not as easy as it sounds. To maintain this level of adab, every time you see the Prophet we're not cut out for that, that's why we're not sahaba. <laughs> <laughs> the ulama say you mustn't say that I wish I was with the Prophet you can't say that because first of all you don't know you would be a Muslim when the Prophet is there how do you know you would be a Muslim Abu Jahl was a Muslim so that tawfiq comes from Allah so what you should be happy about is Allah has made you Muslim here in this time and then I love the Prophet I wish I was there <laughs> And then you read these ayahs, to the level of adab. Then you can't demand from Rasul. Here, alhamdulillah, mashallah, in the Ummah, demanding answers to every question. So there's an ayah in there, let me go and demand an answer. If he doesn't give me an answer, I'll just write him off. So the drive-through service, every time you see an ayah, I want an answer, I want an answer. What's the, what's the answer to this question? No? There's a sheikh coming from out of town. Uh, the sheikh coming from some place in the, you know, the Muslim world, the great sheikh, I'm going to ask him a few questions. <coughs> that wasn't the order with the Prophet and the Sahaba. And the Sahaba, as Abdullah ibn Abbas, anhu, says, we hardly used to ask the Prophet any question. You think you can live with that? I don't think, we wouldn't make it. <laughs> we would not have made it, Period. There's no doubt in my mind. And that level of taqwa, Allah is saying, I'm going to test you for your taqwa. Only Allah knows who made it and who did not make it. The Prophet saw somebody walking in front of Abu Bakr. And he said, how dare you walk in front of someone who is the best amongst you? You think you can maintain that level of adab? Not just the Prophet, anyone who is better in ranking. No, you, he is Abu Bakr. You don't walk in front. 
Understand? Yeah. Meaning that it's a blessing that Allah has given us Iman Islam here in this age, and we should be much more than happy with that and not fantasize with kind of idiotic fantasies. I wish I was the Prophet. Nice thought, but doesn't add up, unfortunately. So that's the adab of thinking also, that uh, you must be happy with wherever Allah has placed you and whatever Allah has made you, inshallah. That's another adab of uh, civilization, especially the Muslim civilization, as you'll see later on uh, in the surah, inshallah. So this is how uh, we make dua that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gives us the, the ability to understand these ayat and then give us the ability and the tawfiq to inshallah implement whatever needs to be implemented through these uh, ayat of hidayah, inshallah. Jazakumullah khayr, subhanallah, bihamdi, subhanallah, bihamdi. Ashhadu an la ilaha illa anta nastaghfiruka wa